Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here, and let's just put the put the tiger on the table and yell at it. We got a weird energy <laughs> this week. <laughs> we, we started this call to record, and Dylan was like, Chris, I'm fucking tired. And I was like, fuck, man, me too. <laughs> Don't really know why, at least on my end. Um, mm-hmm. But just like, it's been one of those weeks that are this, this weekend I am feeling very drained and out of it but that is when we we call upon our old friend we're gonna do another episode of spot that dud today y'all Woo! oh my so, god i love that game <laughs> uh so if you have not listened to one of the other 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 episodes where we've done this we did a whole episode a long time ago about how silly and arbitrary a lot of game reviewing scoring systems seem like just in terms of like what numbers go to what games based on the descriptions that are given uh not intending to be like oh, that's why you can't trust critics but just like you know poking fun at it because it's a goofy thing and so every now and then i like to just go and find a handful of reviews that are relatively close to one another in score and present them to dylan just to see if from the the words written in the review, he can guess which one they gave a higher or lower rating to. And so that's what we're going to do today. It's been a while since we've done this. It's a fun time. I found a bunch of rev- rev- a bunch of reviews for some, uh, some good games and some not-so-very-good games. And we're going to see if Dylan can spot the dud. Dylan, yes. are you ready? As ready as I think I will be. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to start you in the, the realm of okay but forgettable games and we're going to work our way down and then we'll loop back up to a couple that are very highly rated so this this uh this first pair the first pair that i've prepared for you this evening sir uh have received fair marks for their for their flavor and and (laughs) longevity (laughs) ah good 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 vintage (laughs) so uh the first first game we're going to be talking about is uh, Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge. What? Are you fucking kidding me? I had that on PC. <laughs> <laughs> Starting uh, strong today. Uh, I began, I, I took today's reviews from GameSpot. I've used IGN in the past. I wanted to give GameSpot a turn in the limelight. Uh, so this is Fro- the Frogger 2 Swampy's Revenge review from Ryan Davis, published on May 17th of 2006. Uh, I'm just going to start by reading you the the first and last paragraphs. There isn't anything terribly funny in this one, because this is just kind of like, it's a review for an okay game. Uh, so they didn't get real sassy on it. But mm-hmm. if in, in some of these upcoming ones, we will have some sass to choose from. Oh, it's what I look forward to when we play Spot the Dud. Oh, yeah. Hasbro Interactive has been revamping and re-releasing old video game names for a few years now. 
After its last run of uninspired rehashes, which included Galaga and Breakout, wait, it looked wait, like Hasbro wait. had run Hasbro out of tricks. Hasbro owns Galaga, Frogger, and Wipeout? Uh, Breakout, not Wipeout. Breakout. That would Breakout. be wild. <laughs> okay, still... St- Galaga I, I, surprises I still me. That is, that is that. interesting. Because I'm pretty sure those are all Namco properties, so I guess Hasbro just has the distribution. I'm not going to think about that too hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, proving you can't keep a good frog down, Hasbro brings us a sequel to its 1997 revision of the Frogger franchise. The first 3D Frogger was argu- arguably the high watermark for Hasbro's classic gaming remakes, and Frogger 2 improves upon the existing framework, b- bringing together a fast-paced puzzler well worth your while. Uh, and then the conclusion paragraph. Frogger 2 is a worthy sequel, because it improves upon what worked in the original, downplays what didn't work, and in the end delivers a game that is better than the original. Unfortunately, while all the other pieces come together flawlessly, the lack of replay gives the, keep, uh, keeps the game from achieving greatness. That said, puzzle gamers looking for a quality weekend rental need look no further than Frogger 2. Hey, remember back when you could rent video games? That was fucking great. Dude, I think about that all the fucking time. What are you it talking was so, about? Like, there were so many games I played that I would never have bought, but being able to rent it for a weekend for like $3 meant I was like, yeah, fuck it. Dude, the, the fact that like video game rentals aren't really a thing anymore is why everyone has massive backlog issues now. Yeah, honestly. Because we just buy games on sale for like you know, rental prices, and then we never touch them. Yeah. Uh, And then at the bottom of the review, there is a section for the good and the bad, but here the good is listed as non-applicable, and the bad is just an empty bullet point, so I guess they didn't feel like (laughs) doing that for Frogger 2. And then the the follow-up game in this pairing. I'm I'm assuming it's because they didn't do, like, the good and the bad until the the site went under, like, a revamp or something. Oh, see, you'd think that, but oh, this no. next game is from 2005, and it has that section filled out. I thought Frogger 2 was... Frogger 2 was... Two. This review, at least, was published in 2006. What the fuck? So next up, from 2005, Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness. Oh my god. This was published by Greg Muller on October 10th of 2005. Pokemon XD, Gale of Darkness, is the latest creature-collecting role-playing game in the series, and only the second real Pokemon game to appear on the GameCube. That's somewhat surprising, since the series doesn't change much from one installment to the next. Gale of Darkness retains the basic monster-battling formula as its predecessor, but with a longer single-player game and a few minor gameplay tweaks to address some common complaints about the previous game. As a result, the only people who will really appreciate this game are those who are already familiar with the series. Uh, This is a longer review, but again, there's not a ton of, like, fun, sassy stuff, because this is not in the area of rankings where they're going to do that, unfortunately. Uh, Conclusion paragraph. Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness is a fun, though familiar, trip back into the world of collectible creatures. At about 20 hours for the single-player game, it's a fairly lengthy adventure. The Shadow Pokemon capture system does feel slightly limiting, but at least the purification process is a bit easier. Still, if you aren't already a Pokemon fan, you won't find much here to make you one. Uh, The Good was listed as lengthy single-player story, and Purification Chamber makes purifying Shadow Pokemon much easier, and the Bad... The fact that you can only catch Shadow Pokemon feels limiting. Later in the game, battles can wear on for too long, and not much has changed since the previous game. Hmm. Holy Jesus Christ, you can still buy Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness at Walmart, and it costs 150 US dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Nintendo does a shit job of making their games available. Jesus. Anyway, so, between Frogger 2 and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, which do you think is the dud? If I had to guess, I'm going to say Frogger 2, because, like, Frogger 2 is, like, a rental, fun rental, but, like, you know, it seems like they were talking about how it doesn't have, like, a lot of 
replay value um and not really a whole lot of reason to revisit so you're saying frogger 2 is the dud frogger 2 is the dud no actually frogger 2 came in with a solid 7 out of 10 pokemon Mm. xd gale of darkness a 6.9 nice Mm. uh (laughs) love love that single decimal yep uh okay real talk though there are they gave so many fucking games sevens and fours oh yeah dude they were super harsh back well i guess our our thoughts on like video game scores have kind of changed where like now an average is like an eight yeah whereas like i think an average used to be like a six yeah it's like you could rent this game but like yeah and now that's not a thing anymore since renting's Uh, not a thing anymore people are only really gravitating towards you know the eights and nines yeah like maybe the sevens if it's like a niche i will say reading through this review for pokemon xd or xd made me so fucking nostalgic because it was talking about how one of the features of this game is if you and a friend both had either uh Ruby and Sapphire, or, or or Fire Red or Leaf Green, those mm-hmm. generations of Pokemon games. Yep, you could fight in Pokemon XD with your team using the GameCube Link. Oh yeah, cable against your friends, and that's the fucking coolest shit ever. Yeah, I I would do that with uh, Pokemon Stadium. Yeah, uh, with the Game Boy Color games. Oh uh, yeah. Also, the the thing that made me nostalgic was when they were like, "This is a pretty lengthy game at twenty hours," and I, <laughs> I just had the most wistful. Like, <sighs> <sighs> Can we go back to those days? <laughs> Not every game needs to be forty hours, oh, y'all. God. Re- remember when people were like, "Oh man, I can't believe this Final Fantasy VII remake such a cash grab. It's like thirty hours long. What a short RPG!" Oh, and I'm my like. God. I'm so tired. I'm like halfway through Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think it could stand to be shorter. (laughs) That's my hot take. (laughs) Yeah, no, that... Like, and maybe this is just a result of, like, being a... Being an an older human with more responsibilities and more things that my time is needed for. I'm pretty sure the people complaining about Final Fantasy VII's remake length were the people who played it back when it was hot. Yeah. I just, Um, I don't, I don't... I I want games that cost less, look worse, and <laughs> don't crunch. <laughs> yeah, honestly. All right, let's move on. We're gonna yeah. move down a little bit. We're gonna go down in rating for. Oh, we'd love to see it. Gamespot.com is making me validate my age for this review, so that ought to tell you something. <laughs> oh boy, uh, is it Mortal s- Kombat or something like that. <laughs> Splatterhouse. Similar. Uh, all right, so we're gonna begin. This next setting, we have we have become worse. <laughs> the games have become worse, uh, and we're beginning with from from the review published in 2011, Duke Nukem Forever. Oh boy! So this is what we this is uh, this is published by Kevin Van Ord. So this is what we've been waiting for. It seems a tedious and unattractive sci-fi shooter that would quick, quickly hit the bargain bin if it weren't called Duke Nukem Forever. Duke may be an icon. <laughs> But he's just going through the motions in this stitched-together collection of poorly-paced levels, which do the unimaginable. They make Duke boring. Some see the cigar-chomping alpha male as a misogynist pig. Others see a clever and ironic take on macho cliches. Neither crowd is likely to get worked up over Duke's actions here. Sure, he spouts the occasional sexist quip. He receives receives a lap dance from a topless stripper, smacks monsters in the crotch to humiliate them, and has no problem using words beginning with the letter F. But there's nothing sexy, provocative, or sly about his portrayal in the long-awaited sequel. In Duke Nukem Forever, there's little joy, 
little excitement, and little fun. That is, unless your idea of fun is to catch an occasional glimpse of digital nipples while you jump and drive around, and only occasionally shoot a few big bra uh, brain-dead aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, titties. <laughs> Duke Nukem Forever isn't... I'm just, this is just a, a, a snippet from the middle of the review. Duke okay. Nukem Forever isn't just boring. Sometimes it's plain awful. The last 90 minutes of the game are putrid, feature, featuring seemingly unending underwater excursions in which you swim over bubbles to catch your breath. Yeah, There's only a bit of action here, and you need to constantly replenish your breath meter... Uh, and the need to constantly replenish your breath meter is frustrating, as is the ease with which you can get caught up in the environment while swimming through tunnel entrances. A level soon after has you running up a staircase as an explosive barrels come rolling toward you, all the while all while the rising water level forces you to push forward. Not fun. Not even close. Furthermore, with a ridiculously flippant ending that, is, uh, that follows is an absolute insult. Duke himself says in his, in his unenthusiastic monotone, What kind of shit ending is that? So Duke knows the, final, the finale is abysmal, which means the development team did too. But making a joke about it doesn't make it excusable. The game pulls the same trick earlier on, cracking wise about a boring valve-turning puzzle. But once again, Duke's claim that he hates valve puzzles doesn't make this boring and cliched task suddenly entertaining. Uh, skipping around a bunch. There's, there's, they're not kind in this review, nor should they be. Uh, I was but in about the conclusion, to say, like, this is a pretty justified... Yeah. Give it the conclusion. Given its story development history, you might be inclined to grab a copy of this train wreck. Avoid the temptation. While much of Duke Nukem Forever is embarrassingly bad, the kind of game you point and laugh at, its biggest problem is that it's so tedious. Twisting valves, jumping on pipes and alien tentacles, driving through drab canyons, rolling alien spheres along the ground. This is what Duke Nukem Forever is about. It's not about shooting aliens, and it certainly isn't about fun. This game takes an icon and turns him into a laughingstock, except no one's laughing. Uh, the good, it's fun to shrink enemies and stomp on them. The bad, long, boring platforming and driving sections, the shooting lacks impact, ugly visuals, and fails to be shocking, sexy, or funny. So that was Duke Nukem Forever. Next up, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Oh my god, what? <laughs> uh, also by Kevin Van Ord. This one, uh, the, the subtitle is worth reading because it's what gave me pause and made me choose this one. Okay. The Harry Potter film tie-ins end on a low note with this short, tedious, and conceptually vapid cover shooter. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, yeah, they don't go to school, so you can't do all the cool school stuff you I could guess do in so. the other games. It's just so disappointing because, like, the, the first two Harry Potter tie-in games are not, like, great, but they're fun and interesting and, like, I don't know, they, they capture a lot of what made the, the books and the first couple movies actually entertaining. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go into Harry Potter and the D Deathly Hallows Part 2. Question. When is a wand no longer wand? Answer, when it's a gun. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. It's conceptually ludicrous. As with last year's installment, developer EA Brightlight has envisioned the wands of Harry Potter and his friends as guns, but instead of switching between weapons, you switch between spells. Stupefy isn't a stunning spell in this game, it's a pistol. Expulso isn't an exploding spell, it's a rapid-fire machine gun. Confringo isn't a blasting curse, it's a grenade launcher. And don't forget everything you know of, er, and forget everything you know about apparating, which you probably never imagined as a short-range teleport. Perhaps this disrespectful take on the beloved Harry Potter license wouldn't be so disastrous if the resulting game were fun, but for the most part, it just isn't. Switching between spells provides some welcome variety in the second half of this unusually short cover-based shooter. Otherwise, Deathly Hallows Part 2 is tedious and dumb, failing both as a game and as a licensed product. Oh my god, I'm sorry, the, the fucking video review is playing in here, and it just, it's it's Gears of War. It's just Gears of War. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, of course it's just Gears of War. Every third-person shooter I, I guess it did come Gears out in 2011. 
<laughs> so so there's another quick uh, snarky segment. Can you use the sword of Gryffindor as a oh as the God. Of War chainsaw? Hacking into a Death Theater, gore splattering the in-game <laughs> camera. <laughs> I'd make it entertaining, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I'd, 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 I'd bump it up a point. So Deathly Hollows Part 2 isn't for Harry Potter fans, but it isn't for shooter fans either. You shoot the same nameless generic enemies time and again, and then you move down a narrow path so you can take some cover and shoot some more clones. You occasionally break free of this predictability, only to find yourself having even less fun than before. Perhaps the aforementioned sniping section might have provided a brief spot of variety, but once you finish sniping one set of baddies, you're directed to another group. And then another. Even more boring is your trek into the Chamber of Secrets, where, as Hermione, you shoot spiders while Ron takes his sweet time opening more doors. Most of this level doesn't involve shooting, however, you just follow Ron th through dark caverns. The bright eyes peering through the darkness are a nice touch, but while this level might have been meant to create tension, the only emotion it generates is boredom. There's an early moment in which the trio rescues a fire-breathing beast, and you might get momentarily excited by the possibility of taking to the skies, but no. The most interesting possibilities are confined to cutscenes, while you carry all the all, all, out all the drudgery with your gun wand. I love that paragraph because I'm loving imagining not video game NPC Ron Weasley, but Rupert Grint as Ron Weasley being like, man, I can't fucking get this door open. <laughs> uh, concluding paragraph. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 is over in three and a half hours or so, which is a mercifully short playing time for a game that sells at a too high $50 price. You can replay story missions on their own or as time challenges that might earn you a place on the game's online leaderboards. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god! Actually, that's there funny. were a lot of games back in that time period that had online leaderboards. Oh yeah, I'd I'd kind of forgotten about that, but <laughs> but these missions don't make for very good challenges, in part because you still have to wait around for your AI companions to open gates or trigger scripted events. Ugh. You enjoy the immediacy of the motion controls, or if you enjoy the immediacy of motion controls, you can play the game using PlayStation Move accessories. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, this option works just fine, though switching between spells is more cumbersome with a move controller than a standard DualShock 3 or 6 axis, so it isn't necessarily the superior way to play. After you finish, you're treated to a montage of gameplay moments from the prior Harry Potter games, which serves not to inspire fond memories, but only to remind you, you just, just how much potential was squandered in a series of games that never lived up to their inspirations. Damn. So here we have the good, ability to switch between spells lends variety to later levels, the bad, conceptually ridiculous, exceptionally tedious, incredibly short with little replay value, and fails to capture the tension and excitement of the novels. Who? This one is only $12.12 from Walmart. Man, I don't know which one is the dud here. Because, I mean, Duke Nukem Forever is Duke Nukem Forever. Duke Nukem Forever is legendarily bad. And that might actually bump it up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna go with Harry Potter, and the only reason I'm going with Harry Potter is because Duke Nukem is, like, bad and tedious, but, like, at least the weapons have some punch to them. So, it, at least on a very, very loosely basic level, it's... the gunplay works. It's got <laughs> a bit more variety, maybe? Let's hear it. You have chosen... Poorly. Ah, damn. Duke oh, Nukem two. Forever was the dud. It came in at a 3.5 to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2's 4. Honestly, like, that's a hard one, because they both sound like dreadful games. Oh, yeah, no, they, like, and that's the thing is, like, the 1s and 2s are bad, but that's where you get into the area of, like, Superman 64, where there's at least, like, some, schadenfreude is not the right word, but, like, you can, you can get some kind of joy out of just how bad they are threes and fours are where you get the ones where it's just unfun 
Like, there's not even enough going on to justify the, like, so bad it's good side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got two more of these, but before we do those, what if we uh, slide over and over to the playbill, Dylan? Okay, we are doing the playbill. I wasn't sure. I mean, we, we might as well. This will be a full-length well. episode, I think. I hope. Okay. Let's Knock go! Wood. Whoa! that we're in the playbill dylan if i wanted to watch an anime about giant robots but one that also deals with all kinds of sociological and pop culture examinations of the, about the real world from the time when it was made do you have any recommendations for me yeah in fact i'll one-up you uh you know i have a show for you that does all of those things plus the main character pilots a giant robot with an electric guitar are you fucking kidding me? I am not kidding you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's so good. Um, I'm fucking sold. That is Macross 7. The latest, uh, or not the latest, but the current season that we are, myself and our, our friend Coop, we are watching on our podcast, Dude, You Remember Macross. Um, Dude, You Remember Macross is a show uh, where we basically summarize and it's like a book club. It's a book club for this charming series of anime um, called Macross, and it has all the things Chris was talking about, and it's really good, and it's really fun. And if you want to check that stuff out, you can find us on anchor.fm slash dude you remember. That is dude as in dude where's my car. Uh, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. If you feel like maybe mecha anime is not your thing, but you like sci-fi in general, there's also a great show called the Unexplored Places. It's a podcast Dylan and I are both in as player characters. It's an actual play show about ne'er-do-wells in space, currently using the Scum and Villainy game system. It is a great time. Uh, we have a blast recording it. We just recorded an episode last night. We're like five, three, four, three days ago. When you're hearing this, if you listen when it came out, I'm sorry, I just broke. Uh, but it's a great time. It's a great show full of wacky situations and, and moving character moments. And if you want, think that sounds interesting and you want to check it out, you can find them on Twitter at UnexploredCast or by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com. want to say a quick thank you to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games. And if you like our show, you'll probably like some of theirs. There's a bunch of different shows looking at games from all kinds of different angles, from the more analytical side to the development side to the news side to the fandom side. If you like games and you like podcasts, which I assume you do if you are at this point in the episode... You should go check them out. They're always being retweeted on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. Thank you also to our patrons over at patreon.com slash bsgpod. It is thanks to you that we are able to make this show without losing any money on our end, which is an incredible privilege, and it means the world to us that we have the support to do that. So thank you very much to all of you, and if you like the show and you want to help support it in a very direct and fungible way, patreon.com slash bsgpod is a great place to do that. Anything else for the good of the order, Dylan? No, I think I'm ready to keep going. Let's slide back in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Dylan, we have arrived. We have gotten to the bottom of the barrel. The the lowest oh scores of anything that I found to bring you today. Oh boy. All right. We're, let's... we're going to begin with the most recent game on the slate today. SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. Damn, all right. This was published by I'm I'm sure this is not how he actually how this person's name is actually pronounced, but it looks like their name is Funky Joseph. It's F U N K and then an E with an as, with a with an accent mark on it, so maybe it's Funke Joseph. Funke, like to But either way, Funke? this is an incredible name, and I'm I'm glad that you are working for GameSpot. Uh, I I'm not intending to make fun. This has just really caught me off guard. Well, yeah, here is the opening paragraph. Nearing the end of SpongeBob's journey under the sea, you're tasked with guarding guiding a ball through a giant Rube Goldberg machine in Mermaid Man's lair. Once you activate the machine, you have to match the ball's painstakingly slow speed while using SpongeBob's arsenal of bubble abilities to make sure it doesn't fall over. It's a simple task in concept, but trying to execute it is some of the most unfun and Sisyphean gameplay in recent memory. In one section of the puzzle, all you need to do is stand on a button, and that button opens a gate for you to bowl a bubble into so you can progress. The only problem is that during SpongeBob's wind-up animation for bowling, he walks forward. That means you fall off the button, which closes the gate and prevents you from bowling the bubble where you intended when you intended. These kinds of gameplay barricades are common and force you to restart and face your demons again and again and again. SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated is rarely amusing or challenging, and completing it is an entirely dry experience. It looks nice, and it brings back fond memories of a classic cartoon through iconic set pieces and tight voice acting, but its uncomfortable and outdated mechanics make you feel frustratingly trapped and are ultimately outclassed by countless other modern and classic platformers. Damn, I, was, I thought people liked <laughs> this game. Here's the deal. I have very fond memories of the original Battle for Bikini Bottom. I have not tried the... Uh, I have not attempted anything with the, the remake recently. I've heard people were disappointed with the remake, so I'm not sure how much of these issues are born of the remake or, you know. Yeah. Closing paragraph. If you find you still have fond feelings about the original SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom... You should watch a speedrun of it, or find your old copy and dust off that PS2. This one isn't it. Remasters, ports, and remakes are nice because they make games more accessible to new audiences, and the ones that excel understand that some features from the game's era are antiquated or should be updated or removed. SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated flops like a fish out of water when it comes to this. It's a game so focused on emulating and embellishing the original that it doesn't know the parts of itself that are fun and the parts that aren't. It's lost sight of the basic elements that make a collectible platformer enjoyable. This game doesn't promote curious or keen gameplay, the movement isn't smooth, and gathering collectibles never feels rewarding. Ultimately, the game winds up being an unpleasant nostalgia trip that nobody should pack their bags for. But so between got... this and ukulele, I'm not sure people like 3D platformers anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like 3D collectathons. Between uh, those and uh, the Sonic Adventure games and yeah. people complaining I mean, didn't, about didn't, the Mario. Uh, Spyro Reignited do fairly well? Wasn't that fairly well Oh, it, it probably did fairly well, yeah. That's I don't. True. I don't recall hearing much about it after being released, outside of like people praising the animation. Because mm-hmm. holy crap, the animation is yeah, good. It's a good looking game. Uh, anyway, uh, the good, strong voice acting performances from the original game still do a lot of heavy lifting and entertaining boss fights that are funny and full of life. The bad, dull moment to moment gameplay, stubborn controls that show their age, collectibles are either too simple or too tedious and they aren't rewarding, and combat interactions that feel incredibly unfair and death is unforgiving in the worst way. So that was Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. Next up, from 2007, Deal or No Deal. 
<laughs> Another one where the tagline is well worth reading. A $30 game about winning fake money by picking random numbers is awful to begin with, but a completely broken version of said game is another story altogether. <laughs> by all accounts, making a game based on NBC's hit game show Deal or No Deal should be the most idiot-proof concept in the world. <laughs> the premise is pathetically simple. You are presented with 26 briefcases, each of which contains one of 26 different dollar amounts in, in a random order. You pick a case for yourself, and then start eliminating other cases to try and narrow down what amount you picked out for yourself. All the while, you also entertain offers from a mysterious banker who tries to buy you out before you can find out how much your case contains. All that babble aside, it's basically a game that boils down to randomly picking numbers and hoping for the best. It might not make for an especially interesting video game, it certainly didn't in the PC version released earlier this year, but if the template is followed correctly, it should be, if nothing else, functional. However, Deal or No Deal for the DS somehow manages to screw it up, turning into a completely broken translation of the game. How do you break Deal or No Deal? It's quite simple, really. Just fail to randomize the dollar amounts. What? Instead of distributing the dollar amounts randomly at the start of each game, the game only uses a series of predetermined templates. That means you will get specific distributions of amounts multiple times as you continue to play through the game. Oh, if you happen man. upon one you've already played and happen to remember where stuff was, you can pretty much get the best deal every time. <laughs> oh my god, I'm also going to sh send you this horrible, horrible photo of... Nintendo DS rendered Howie Mandel. Okay, I'm excited to see that. Okay, that's gotta be the dud, right? Like, that's like that's not even a functional game at that point. Uh, let me find the closing paragraph. Okay. One could prattle on about how there are lame bonus games to play, like a high-low game where you have to guess if the, the amount in an upcoming case will be higher or lower than the one currently displayed. There's also a multiplayer mode where two players can either compete to try and get the best deal or one player can play the banker and try to make offers to push the other player out of the game, which is perhaps even more pointless than the broken standard game. There are the cheesy voice samples from Howie Mandel and the crowd, which are periodically broken, exclaiming disappointment when you remove a low number from the board. Then there are the crummy pixelated graphics that make Mandel look like some kind of dwarf mutant and do not give the various stage models faces of any kind. The worst thing about it, I think, is his hands. It's very bad. But yeah, it's either the hands or the way his arms are folded, because, oh boy, yeah. that don't look natural. But these complaints are completely irrelevant, given the fact that the primary game is broken beyond repair. It's a game about picking random numbers, but the numbers aren't random. It's hard to screw up much worse than that. The good, there are voice samples from Howie Mandel. <laughs> the bad... The game isn't properly randomized, ugly pixelated graphics, secondary play modes and multiplayer modes are cheap and tacked on, and there are voice samples from Howie Mandel. <laughs> so, be between Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated and Deal or No Deal for the Nintendo DS, where is the dud? Like, I feel like it, I almost feel like this is a trick question and that it's actually going to be Spongebob, but like, I, I gotta go with Deal or No Deal. That's... That just doesn't sound like a functional game once you spend more than, like, two weeks with it. And you are correct. Deal okay. or No Deal comes in at a 1.5 out of 10, while SpongeBob cranked out that victory with a 2 out of 10. Wow. They they really did not like Battle for Bikini Bottom. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm actually, just out of curiosity, before we move on to my last pairing for you, I'm just going to... Uh, check and see if i can find the re their review for the original one yeah i'm gonna look up the metal the metal the meta critic <laughs> has a 10 out of 10 on steam <laughs> rehydrated does yeah yeah they get uh i 
uh, GameSpot gave the original for back in 2003 a 7.5. Yeah, so it looks like the critic meta score is a 68, and the user score, of course, is a 9, which means very little to me. I don't trust user scores. Yeah, no, those are too easily manipulated. Wow, so, so GameSpot's reviewer for that was unusual in how much he disliked it, apparently. Yeah, like, I'm looking at it now, and I see, like, I'm gonna lean more towards uh, publish publishers I recognize, but, like, I'm seeing a lot of 80s, like, 80s, a couple 90s, some 70s, um, and then even when it starts dropping off, it's like, yeah, GameSpot's kind of an outlier. Like, the second lower score is a... 40 from we got this covered yeah i was surprised to see it that low in their ranking so that just must have like really rubbed that reviewer the wrong way i guess but i mean that that kind of goes to the heart of of what we're talking about here like not saying don't trust game reviewers but do consume game reviews with a grain of salt and like you know seek out purveyors of game reviews that you find yourself tending to agree with and also just cross-reference yeah you know? like <laughs> definitely i'm just i'm reading the ign battle for bikini bottom review and you know what I, I i get it yeah like i i definitely it is interesting the degree to which it's an outlier but like i can't i can't fault them because as much as i like 3d platformers there are a lot of elements of game design from like that era of them that definitely do not I've, I've definitely soured superbly. on a lot of 3D platformers that I grew up playing. Like, I can't really play Banjo-Kazooie like I used to. Um, yeah, yeah. Mario 64, on the other hand, has aged way better than... Oh. I, I didn't even like it that much as a kid, but I, I've gone back and played it, like, last year, and it's really fucking good. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, all right, so for this final two, these are both from... Two decades ago, we're going in the Wayback Machine. Okay. Up first, Halo Combat Evolved. Ooh, all right. This is a review by Joe Fielder. Not only is this easily the best of the Xbox launch games, but it's easily one of the best shooters ever on any platform. Even if you bear in mind the company's well-earned reputation for creating excellent games for the Mac and PC... Bungie's ex- epic Xbox first-person shooter is of such staggeringly high level of quality that you can't help but be surprised. Halo is a complete thrill ride from beginning to end, an experience perhaps best described as a 16-hour-plus version of the siege scene from the film Terminator 2. Those who spent the last few years looking for a first-person shooter as good as Rare's GoldenEye 007 or Valve's Half-Life will be happy to hear that they need look no longer. Yeah, Halo and, 1 is worth the hype. It's, oh it's real good. It's... <laughs> It's an exceptional game. Uh, This is a long review. I'm just going to skip to the end. Gotcha. Still, it's hard to say enough good things about the game. It's one of the few first-person shooters that manages to transcend its genre, meaning it's not only an excellent first-person shooter, but an excellent game, period. Fans of Half-Life, GoldenEye 007, the Marathon series, and any other major single-player first-person shooter will be impressed by Halo, as should anyone else. Not only is this easily the best of the Xbox launch games, but it's easily one of the best shooters ever on any platform. They just reuse that for the the slug line, I guess. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so Halo Combat Evolved. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the Halo franchise... Saying that Halo games are good is unnecessary. The franchise has been going strong for 20 years now. But man, that first game is good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Like, 
I I'd never played Halo until a friend got it for me for my birthday this past year. Oh really? Um yeah, I I, I played a bunch of Halo 2 during like sleepovers and stuff. Um and I played a little bit of Halo 3, but I never played the original. I never yeah, had an it's, Xbox. It's interesting cuz like it's it manages to toe the line where it's not a you know Doom Half-Life. Mm-hmm. It's not that style of shooter. But it's got more of that DNA in it than it does, like, the Call of Duty games that came after it. Yeah. It's um, like, it's... I was just gonna say that, like, Halo 1 feels like a step forward from, um... Maybe not a step forward, but it, it feels like it continues in the spirit of Half-Life in terms of immersion and storytelling. But on top of that, it also... It just plays really fucking well. Holy it's, shit. And that, even, that, like, the enemy design is so top-notch in that game. Oh, yeah. The... The enemy design, the degree to which they're all immediately recognizable and all of them behave in ways that you come to, like, understand as you play. Right. Uh, um, like, I I remember being a, a middle schooler and, like, you know, dumb console war bullshit meant that, like, Halo was the thing the Nintendo kids joked about. Like, you just like your dumb space marine shooter. And, like, even <laughs> yeah. then, I was like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. No, and I I'm shocked by how well like the uh, the PC port for it plays. Mm. Like on the topic of uh, on the topic of like cruddy or like how mixed uh, updating games for ports or remasters can go, they did it right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that was Halo. The other game, uh, this is a review by Jeff Gerstman from the year two thousand. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two. Oh my god. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. The mere concept of a sequel to last year's surprise hit is enough to send chills down the spines of the game's diehard fans. Luckily, those chills are not in vain. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 is the perfect example of how to make a sequel to an already amazing game. The levels are bigger, the trick catalog is more plentiful, the number of goals per level has been doubled, and the already stunning gameplay has been honed even further. Uh, again, this is a long... They, they, I found that the good reviews almost tend to be longer than the bad ones because they just want to, like, hype up everything. So this They is another really want to sell one, how good this game is. Yeah, the, the ending of this review. Near the end of a platform's life, because this was one of the last games to be released on the original PlayStation, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tony Hawk 2. Oh, I... Yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, this was, like, one of the final OG PlayStation releases. I forgot um, it was PS1. Yeah. I, I legitimately thought it was released on the PS2. It feels like a PS2 game. Uh, anyway, mm-hmm. near the end of a platform's life, most of its software falls into one of two categories. The first is shovelware, cheaply produced games hoping to cash in on the platform's large and still installed user base. Games in this category fall in, fail to innovate and come off as games that would have been decent three or four years ago, but simply can't compete with the system's better offerings. The second category is a fairly elite club, containing games from developers that clearly know how to exploit the aging hardware for all it's worth. The PlayStation's final year is coming to a close, and in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, Neversoft has put together a game that clearly belongs at the top of the second category. As most major publishers' development efforts shift towards any number of next-generation platforms, Tony Hawk 2 will likely stand as one of the last truly fantastic games to be released on the PlayStation. Uh, And that's fucking true. See how excited everyone fucking was when they released the remake of it earlier this year. (laughs) Or last year now. It's 2021. What am I talking about? I looked up gameplay of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, and all yeah, no, this looks like a PS2 game. If it wasn't for the lower res textures, some of the pop in and um, aliasing, yeah, 
Like, I would have thought this was a PS2 game. It's, again, just kind of, like, I'm not even someone who gets that into most, like, sports-style games. Mm -hmm. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, I have so many memories of playing that at, like, my elementary school friends' houses. And just, like, you know, sucking at it, but having the best fucking time. Right, right. All right, yeah, I so. only I only ever got to play them a couple times, but all right, yeah, let's let's. So now uh, you got to spot the dud. Spot the dud if, of two certified of two, classics. Yeah, two of, two of, I don't think it is an exaggeration to say some of the best games ever made. <sighs> God damn it, this is a hard <laughs> one. Yeah. <sighs> God damn. Because uh, <laughs> okay, one's the swan song, for. An entire console generation. Um, and the other is the phoenix bursting forth from the ashes in the new generation. Right. Like, Halo is one of the most genre-defining games. Sorry, I'm watching this gameplay, and this guy is not good. He can't He can't land a kickflip. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, closing out the bet tab. Um, fuck, dude. Um... Which ones that do they have any positives and negatives list? Nope. The, these ones, the uh, the good and the bad sections are are blank. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so I'm I'm going to go with Halo. Only because, even though Halo was like a genre defining like huge pop cultural movement that sold Xboxes like crazy. The, the, it, it's still the first game and like i you know some of the level designs not the greatest like there's a lot of copy pasted uh level yeah, assets yeah. uh whereas tony hawk's pro skater 2 is a refinement and only improved upon the rock solid foundation of the first game of course these are two different reviewers um but that's that's what i'm going with let's let's hear it chris saying halo 2 or halo is the dud yeah, I'm saying Halo is the dud. You are correct. Halo came in at a 9.7 from GameSpot to Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2's 9.9. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that I was I was fascinated because I, I was trying to find, you know, games that were close like that. Uh, they give out a lot more decimal points at the very top and the very bottom of the spectrum than they do in the middle. I would imagine Which, it's because a 10 is just such a hard thing to give. Yeah. And similarly, you don't want to give a 1 if you can... <laughs> if you don't have to. Right. But yeah, that's... I mean, I knew this was going to be hard because like you were saying, like these are two games that... It has been 20 years, and when I said both of them, you were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because they're like, they're just that big. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... This is our third third or fourth time, I think, doing Spot the Dud. There's not a ton more to say. It's just kind of fun to like look at how we talk about games. I honestly, even though it's not as funny to read the reviews for really good games like this, I honestly really like going back and reading reviews for like classics like this. Especially like you can you can read the enthusiasm that people had where it's like Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, no, they knew this was a big deal. Everyone knew this was a big deal. And 10 years later, it's looked back on as a big deal. Yeah, 20 years later. Well, yeah, 20 years later. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, and it's interesting to see. I mean, this is kind of getting into the conversation we had a few weeks ago about, like, how long certain games stay in the public eye. 
I wonder if, like, 10 years from now, if, if we look back on reviews for things like Ghost of Tsushima or uh, Last of Us Part Two, if it'll have that same kind of, like, breathless excitement that these two reviews both had. Mm. That's a good kind of... That's something to think about, because I feel like we're, we're so jaded nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you had fun, Dylan. I hope you had fun, audience. I had fun I finding had these. Uh, but that's, I think, going to do it for us for this week. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you again for listening to our show. Backstage Gaming is a great time for us to put together, and we hope that you enjoy it half as much. Uh, and I hope that if you like our show, you will share it with your friends and family, share it online, uh, talk about us on social media. Dylan will give us more information about that in just a second. I just oh, said information because that's where I'm at. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to know more about our show or want to reach out to us directly, the best place to do that is our website, bsgpod.com. It's got a contact form. It's got bios for the two of us. It's got info about the show. It's got all kinds of good stuff, bsgpod.com. All right. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, where our handle is at BSG underscore cast. Um, also, if you want to engage with us, talk about the episode, talk about things you like, things you didn't like, want to wax nostalgic about Halo, Tony Hawk, uh, Pokemon uh, Coliseum, XD, whatever, uh, you should use that hashtag BSGpod. It helps us find you, and it also gives us a little bit of, you know, a little bit of pizzazz. And by that, I mean, like, you know, algorithm shit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. Also, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. If you dig our key art, you can check out the rest of his stuff, which is also equally good, on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E... Sorry, let me take that again. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash Brennan French Arts or on Twitter at Brennan underscore French. You should also go find our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. He's a great composer and producer of electronic music, and you can find all of his music by going to SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. That's SoundCloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. Thanks again to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games, and you can find all of their shows being retweeted over on Twitter at HPVG Pod Network. And thanks again to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for helping us keep the lights on without losing any money. We appreciate the hell out of you, and if you want to support our show, patreon.com slash bsgpod is a great place to do that. With all that said and done, Dylan, I think that's going to do it for us for this week. I think so too. Goodbye, everybody. Go, Goodbye. Go, go review some of your old, some of those old classics. Dust off your your Tony Hawk Pro Skater two. Dust off your Halo Battle one. for Bikini Bottom. See if it's held up. I hope it has for you. I do too. Anyway, goodbye. Bye. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.